2. Appreciate all that here. Philippians chapter 2. As you get there, um, this Sunday is the first um, Sunday school of the quarter, uh, and so don't miss out on that. Uh, and there's three classes you can sign up for in the back. However, this Sunday, only one of them will actually be happening. And so uh, Brother Nick will be out of town still, and then I will also be preaching out this Sunday. And so uh, you'll just have Brother Paul's here uh, this weekend. Uh, and so make sure you sign up and attend for that uh, uh, and get involved in Sunday School. Philippians chapter 2 common portion of scripture here that we'll start reading in verse 3. The Bible says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're thankful this evening to be able to gather always. Lord, we're thankful for who you are. And as we even look at this passage here this evening, Lord, we're thankful that we serve a God who is willing to die for us. God, might that thought be in our minds here this evening. As we explore this passage tonight, might you impress upon us the magnitude of your service to us. As we look at this, Lord, we ask for your hand on this time, uh, that it might be, uh, give you glory and give you honor. Might it challenge our hearts. We love you. We're thankful. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <coughs> this is, of, of course, um, one of those just well-known, quotable uh, passages. Uh, certainly, as we read it, it wasn't uh, probably the first time you heard it. Uh, it probably isn't a new concept necessarily to you. Uh, uh, and Paul is, of course, declaring to them the sacrifices of Christ, that they might learn to adopt Christ's mindset of selfless service. And so as you know, if you were here last week, if you, if you weren't, what we're going to be talking about and what we started last week was a series I titled, Forget You. I just like that title. I'm just a fan of that. That's, that's fun. But the idea is that our whole thought, our whole concept often of, of life and what we look forward to and what we do each day is almost always so consumed with us. And yet God's message and the consistent theme of the New Testament is really not us. Uh, and so that's what we're talking about. That's what we're looking at. And here it's no different uh, 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 Paul is speaking to the church at Philippi, and he gives this understanding. He says, let this mind be in you. And he reveals how God the Father, the Creator, the, the God of heaven and earth as, as he would exist, uh, 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 was born as a man. The Creator was born as a human, he says. 
just a, a monumental thought. And for us, this is the, the basis of all Christianity. And so, sometimes we don't, we don't think too much about that concept. Uh, but the Bible says all things, whether they were uh, invisible or visible, principalities, powers, whatever might exist in Colossians 1.16, it says, all things were created by him and for him. And this God was born as a baby and then didn't even get like a good life. You with me? Can you imagine maybe here tonight if you were to start a business and you made every piece of it your own and uh, it was your product and your thought and, and your design and you drew the logo and you knocked doors to try to sell it and you built it up and I mean it was everything and you made it what it was. And then to one day come in to that business as the janitor. Be ridiculous. You'd be insulted <laughs> if you came in one day and they go, yeah, you're the janitor here now. You go, what? No, I, I made this. Are you kidding me? I'm in charge here. This is mine. And that, even that analogy does not compare to the concept that Jesus that made everything had to come and be born as just a regular person in a, un, uh, a, a non-special town. Can you imagine? And this, is how, this is how it blows my mind. So you may not relate to this, but Jesus invented taste buds and didn't get to have sugar. Can you imagine? I don't know if that hits you the way it hit me, but... I just can't, I mean, think of, of Jesus in heaven and he's, he's in, the, in the void and he's making all that is and he goes, he makes taste buds and then he goes, oh, sugar. When kids taste this on their tongue, they're going to lose their minds. This is awesome. Taste buds and sugar and he puts them together and he goes, they don't know yet, but that's going to be like the best. In fact, it's going to kill a lot of them. That's how good it's going to be. And then he, get, he doesn't even get to have any. I mean, can you imagine that? He creates and invents all of these amazing and beautiful and, and, and uh, uh, just wonderful things that he doesn't even get to experience as he lives in this world. As the creator to come and be just a person that has to be a baby, that has to go to school, that has to do his chores, that has to get a job? Can you imagine that? I mean, it's silly if you really think about it. He's the creator. He's the king. Revelation reveals him as the king of kings, the lord of lords. That he's the one that should have been in charge. I mean, it should have been that Caesar should come and ask Jesus for permission when Jesus is born. And yet that's not how it is. Jesus grows up to become a standard carpenter in a small town that nobody would be proud of being from. I mean, that's, that's who he becomes. I mean, he wasn't even from somewhere that you would want to visit. I mean, he's just, from human standpoint, you with me? From objective standpoint, the king of all that is, the one that should have been the king of the earth, where all the kings would come and bow down to him, as it should have been, was a carpenter in a little town. We know this. This is taught to us when we're little, but isn't that crazy? That the one that deserved all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the praise, 
Isaiah 6, and, and we know this passage where uh, uh, this is Isaiah seeing the Lord. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each of them having six wings, and twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I mean, that's the picture of the glory of God that Isaiah got to see in heaven. And this is the glory that was, uh, Jesus deserved to have on this planet. And yet, what did he do? He had to come and be born in a manger? I mean, can you imagine the ridiculousness of the picture here? I mean, that's what, that's, that's what Paul's getting across, that that's what it should have been like on earth for Jesus. He should have been born in glory and honor and given a throne and made king of the earth. He should have had servants that worshipped him day in and day out. He should have been so high and lifted up that the servants that would worship him day in and day out was the most uh, uh, desired profession in all the earth. They should have enjoyed and desired to, to proclaim his majesty and his glory. And yet that's not what happened. Yet he became a human, a servant. Jesus, this God, this king, this creator, this Lord worthy of all the glory, had to live a regular life, was made in the likeness of men, it says here in Philippians chapter 2. That he had to get sick. And that's, I mean, God had to go through getting a cold. We don't know all the sicknesses he had, whether he was allergic. Can you imagine that? The creator of all that is, that should be king of the earth, that should be worshipped and adored and receive glory and honor, maybe had to avoid dandelions. Can you imagine? I mean, it's so silly when you think about it. That that's what would happen to the creator, the king, the Lord. He had to, uh, can you imagine how many splinters he had to get? I mean, just things we, I mean, the, the God of all that is has to worry about that. Body aches and had to sweat. I mean, you think of, of, of the things that we go through and what he had to endure and, and just the daily grind of work. And providing in this tired and, and thankless uh, profession. Can you imagine? I mean, we do it. I don't know about you, but you go to work at a job that doesn't really appreciate you. Or you just do some menial task or what have you day in and day out. And after a while you go, I think I'm kind of tired of this nonsense. And yet Jesus was a carpenter. A, a regular a uh, 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 working class, lower middle class type of guy. Didn't receive any honor, no glory for that. The, I mean, imagine the God of heaven and earth having a sore back as he spends his days bent over, nailing chairs together, calloused hands. What? The God of all that is. That's what he became. And then... Look, Paul doesn't just say he was just made in, in the fashion of a man, in the likeness of a man. If that was it, that would be mind-blowing enough. But he doesn't say that's all that happened. 
He says, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. If, if he were to become, in other words, if Jesus were to be born and would be born to be the king of all of the earth and would have received glory and honor and, and they would have had the little palm leaves and, and waved him and fed him grapes, even if that's what his life would have been like, it would have been an insult to who God is. And yet, he didn't just become, he didn't get that. He didn't even just become a regular person who had to go to work. It says he became a servant. Living a life as he makes his way to 30, taking care of his mom and his siblings, working to provide, uh, probably after Joseph had died there. As he, as he goes into his ministry, he serves others, walking countless miles, often hungry, often tired, just to serve, to heal those who so often would still not believe him and follow him. Bible saying that he so often had nowhere to lay his head at night, often going hungry, being insulted and cast away, when all he did was heal and, and bless and bring truth. As he would weep for people, they would mock him and scoff at him. And Jesus, who would deserve so much more than the average person, became so much lower than average on this earth. And yet Paul doesn't say that was it. He doesn't just say, yeah, the king of all that is, the God who created the heaven and earth, the God that deserves all glory and all honor and all praise, he became a servant. He doesn't just say that. He says he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The one who invented life had to die. As he was, we understand, beaten and whipped and punched, having his beard ripped out, a crown of poisonous thorns driven into his head as they make fun of him and mock him and insult him. And the picture of what an, a crazy, unimaginable thing it is that the God who created everything was one day struggling to climb up a hill with a gnarled, bloody body as they placed a cross on his back and told him to carry it up. As they drive nails into his hands and his feet and drop the cross in the hole and just watch him suffer. As he hangs there in anguish, thirsty, dying, they only come to further insult him and spit on him. And this passage and Paul's message and what God's getting across here only makes sense if you think about that and it blows your mind how asinine it is that the God of all that is became that. This passage only makes sense if that concept to you seems insane that that would happen. That God himself would endure all of this when he is worthy of so much more than we could even conceive. That even if, if, God, even if Jesus would have been made Caesar at birth and praised his entire life, he would, it would have been an insult, and yet he was brutally murdered instead. 
And Paul's drawing this connection that those at the church of Philippi would see this and, and in their minds they would conceive of the fact that God, who was in the form of God, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, who deserved all of the power, all of the glory, all of the praise, who was the creator, became a servant who went to the cross. And he says, think about that for a moment. And then he says this. That mind, the mind that would produce uh, uh, in God the thought to lower himself for you, he says, let that mind be in you. That's what he says. That's the point. That's, that's the idea here. We're, we're trying not to waste time here. We're just trying to get to the point. And he says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul says, what, what Jesus did, be like that. That thought. And certainly we actually couldn't be like that, actually, because Jesus went from higher than we could ever be to lower than we could ever dream but he says, this mind that would cause the God of heaven and earth to lower himself to such an insulting place to his glory, let that mind be in you. And we probably should stop right there almost. Because what could I say that could add to Paul's words there? But today, as I was even preparing for this and thinking of this, I, I got to church and I wanted some coffee, as I often do. I like coffee. There's almost never a time I don't want coffee. So I come, and I prepare to drink a cup of coffee, and I go over to the espresso machine. It takes about 40 minutes to warm up. It's a, it's a process. You've got to turn it on and wait 40 minutes for it to get hot. So I turn it on. I wait 40 minutes. I come back. Somebody had turned it off. <laughs> okay. Because I'm a very patient, forgiving man, I go, it's okay. The Lord's still good. You know, for, I made it 40 minutes today. I can do another 40. I turn it back on. 40-ish minutes later, I come over, and it's off again. And if you're the one that shut it off here, I forgive you. It's okay. I'm all right with that. I understand. It makes a lot of noise, and you're probably worried it's going to blow up. Who's using it anyway? But long story short, about five hours later... <laughs> I'm still working on getting a cup of coffee. <laughs> and my thought as I'm preparing for this uh, uh, and thinking about this passage and this thought, my thought was, let this mind be in you. And then I was struck about what a ridiculous, insane comparison that would be. That I would go, yes, I'm so much like Jesus. I did not wig out about not getting a cup of coffee. <laughs> Pretty Christ-like, I would say. I think it's just what this passage is talking about. I think that's what Paul's getting at here. That when you can't get the cup of espresso, that, and you just relax, you'll be okay. That's his point. No. I mean, it's, it's, it's not comparable at all when you get so often... Even if, if I'm not walking with God, so, such little things like that, and I'll be welled up with this concept of, come on, I can't even get a cup of coffee around here. I mean, so often we'll get, we'll get filled with strife and anguish and, uh, and be upset and we'll be uh, frustrated about things. When, but we think about this concept and, and things even like that are not even, they're not even in the same realm 
not even comparable. That as we were to think about this concept, if, if that's where I'm struggling, how far am I from what Paul is talking about? There is literally nothing that could ever happen to you or me that we would have place to complain to Jesus about. Can you imagine the concept of me in my prayer life coming and going, you can't believe what happened to me today, Jesus. You, can you, you see how they treated me? Way unfair, don't you think? I mean, what, what could I possibly say that would be a valid complaint? It's insane. And yet that's so often where we are. Yet so often our prayer life is, is consumed with complaining and worrying and, come on, Jesus, I deserve better. And how could this happen to me? And uh, stuck in traffic and frustrated and uh, the job's not going how I want it to go. And uh, I had to buy new tires and that's what it cost. There's literally nothing that could ever happen. Man, taxes too high, others don't treat you well, somebody offends you, the pastor didn't give you the attention you deserve. You're going to complain to Jesus that you didn't get what you deserve? <laughs> Can you imagine how crazy it is to think about this and then complain to Jesus that our lives are too hard? That we deserve better? Paul says, listen, think about what Christ came from and went to and let this mind be in you. What mindset? What is that mind? That's the point, and I don't want to belabor the point and, and talk too much about it, but Jesus, it says this way, who loved the world. So, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That God was filled with such love that, that he desired the salvation and the betterment and the reconciliation of his people so much that he was willing to come from the height of glory, where he was worshipped, where he received glory and honor and praise, to going through all of what we just discussed. He says, because he loved you, because he loved me. And Paul says, let this mind be in you. The mind that loves others enough to suffer loss for them. Maybe even to die for them. That the thought is that we ought to be so empty of self that we yearn in our spirits to be like Christ in this. And so often, as I know is, is true in my life, and I know so often is the struggle, especially uh, for us here in this time and in this place, our mindset is so often filled with how we can better ourselves, how we can improve our position in life, how we can get more wealth and more respect and more status for us. So often our thoughts and our plans and our ambitions and our aspirations for each day, for our life, our five-year plan, or how can I get me higher? When God's aspiration, when Jesus' plan was, how can I get lower for you? That's what he did. Listen, Jesus could have taken all of the glory, all of the power that he wanted. 
He didn't have to sacrifice anything. Nobody put Jesus in that position. He willingly took upon himself the form of a servant. It was his choice. And yet so often, not only are we not choosing to suffer loss or to be brought down for the sake of anyone, so often we would rather step on anyone so we can bring ourselves up. And our thoughts and our day-to-day aspirations are, how can I get me higher? Who cares at the expense of who? Man, that, that thought, that life, the concept that our whole lives and mind and ambition would be how to get higher for me is simply incompatible with the life and message of our Savior. It just is. Paul is saying this. He starts this concept with this idea. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look, not every man do his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Paul's saying, listen, when Christ endured so much for you and I, living his life as an example for how we can serve others, how can there be any strife, any selfishness, any pride in us? How, we, how can we go through our lives with the concept of lifting ourselves up? He's talking to this church. He's saying, how can, how can anything be done through strife or vainglory here? How can that be the concept? And we don't have time to explore all of this here, but if you were to study out the church at Philippi, you would know that this was a church who would envy our lives. They weren't people that had everything they could ever want. This was a church that, if you remember, when Paul and Silas got there, they find a woman possessed, and they heal her. They cast the demon out, and what an amazing thing. And the church, so, uh, the, the town so antagonistic to uh, Christianity, to godliness, to righteousness, would imprison them for saving that little girl's soul, essentially. That she would be set free from that and be able to have the opportunity to accept Christ and be set free from the bondage, not just of a demon, but set free from the bondage of those that used her to make money. And so they imprisoned them. That's their position on godly things. And this was a town that was not particularly wealthy. These Christians here didn't have a whole lot. And in fact, in, in, in Corinthians, Paul would reference the churches of Macedonia, one being Philippi, and say how in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. In other words, he would say, they don't have a whole lot, and yet they still give. <laughs> they're struggling in persecution, they're struggling in poverty, and yet their hearts are such that they would still give. And our lives today would be a dream to any of the believers at Philippi. And Paul would come to them and say, uh, you guys think like way too much of yourselves. Can you imagine what he might say to us? When those that had nothing and in poverty would give, and we would go like, I can't, I'm saving up for a boat, I can't give to missions, are you kidding me? What would... And we would read this unironically, 
maybe as we would and talked last week. Paul says the heart of every believer ought to be how they can love and serve each other. Our hearts, our desire, our goals ought to be to treat everyone else as if they're better than we are and as if their needs are more important. Why? Because we have the perspective of what Jesus did and have his mind on it. I'm sorry, but if we're going to be honest with the truth of Scripture and the perspective of what Christ gives us, we can't be too busy with our lives to share the gospel, to show up to church, to be invested in other people's lives, and then pretend like we know what having the mind of Christ is. We can't do that. We can't ignore each other and look the other way at people in need, do nothing but further our own goals and ambitions and comforts, and then act like we're being Christian, which is Christ-like. That's the concept here. It ought to be, in fact, that everyone who meets a real Christian sees someone who would put them before themselves. That ought to be the testimony of believers. That they love others, that they're so selfless that they would say, Man, it's like they treat me better than they treat themselves. It's like exactly what Paul said there. <laughs> and yet so often our testimony is, man, they only care about them. They only care about themselves. So often what our testimony is. Listen, I don't want to belabor the point, but the point is this. I need to forget about me. That God himself in all of his power and all of his glory would become a man, a servant that would be, go to the cross and that I would go, man, I don't get treated good enough. What a ridiculous thought. Man, if, that, if, if in your heart today your thought is, man, I deserve to be treated better and man, I don't get treated right in this area and man, I work too hard and man... Man, I do too much around this church. And man, I serve people too much. And you know what? I never even get as much thank yous as I deserve. When we got to put that stuff away. That's ridiculous. I don't want to be unkind here. It's not my heart. And it's certainly not me saying it. But in the perspective of Christ, if our heart is, I don't get as much as I deserve, how ridiculous is that in perspective here? Listen, I don't work too hard. I don't need to be treated better. I don't need accolades or comforts or prosperity. I need to learn what it means to have this mind in me. And to have my heart filled with the desire to give my life for others in the cause of Christ. Uh, we noted this here um, during the prayer time um, that some of our young people went to school uh, with a young lady named Dahlia Johnson. Now, I never met her, um, but I was touched with her story on social media. As much as I complain about social media, sometimes uh, it does have good things, um, which may be even a greater testimony to her, but she was somebody that got, I don't know if she got the cancer maybe when she was 19 or 20, maybe you know uh, that way, but about that age, um, and immediately on social media, I don't know this woman, never had met her, uh, but on social media, the whole step of the way, uh, every, every trial, every affliction, every hardship, 
as it literally ravaged her body, she would post on social media giving God glory, thanking Him for it, using every opportunity of her affliction to point others to Christ until the end. You could search her on social media and see her posts until her body was basically no more. And yet giving God the glory. I'm not talking about somebody who had lived 50, 60 years and had seen all the blessings of God. And This was a 20-year-old who, who just lived her life and who knows uh, the mind of the Lord and why she had to endure that, but would give God the glory through something that, man, if we would say anybody amongst us should have a little bit of cause to complain. And yet none. Just thanking the Lord for His goodness and using each opportunity to point others to Him. And yet what is our testimony so often? That we come to church and sit down and we see nobody but ourselves and say, what do you got for me? That we go through about our daily lives and work and on the road and in the grocery store and ignore every, we don't see another soul. All we think about is what I got to do in my plans and what I have to accomplish and we don't see the multitudes going to hell. And then we read Philippians chapter 2 and we go, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty Christ-like. What? I don't know where you're at today, but can I just say for me, Man, I'm nowhere near as selfless as I need to be. Not even close. As I think about who Christ was and what he endured and how he humbled himself to die for me. And he says, let that mind be in you. Love others so much that you'd be willing to do that. I'm not even close. Man, my heart ought to be to come to God here tonight. And, and that's my prayer tonight. God, help me to get closer to this. Man, I'm too selfish. I'm too me. I need to forget me and have this mind in me. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let's stand to our feet this evening and bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord,